In this episode of the Beyond Hunter Ed podcast, we're going to talk about the North American model of wildlife conservation. Then we're going to discuss bag limits and possession limits. And finally, we're going to talk about how to apply and what it all means. This is Understanding Tags and Seasons. This is the Beyond Hunter Ed podcast where the focus is on all the questions you wish were answered in the classroom and quite a few more. So whether you're an accomplished lifer or a complete newbie and you're looking to discuss all topics hunting in an entertaining and unfiltered way, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Eric Jaitner. All right, well, I don't know about you guys, but my application season is finally coming to an end. And it looks like I'm going to be hunting in three states. I'm going back home to Wisconsin to hunt white-tailed deer in the North Woods with my family. I'm going to be hunting in my current home state of California. And then I'm going to be headed out to Colorado to hunt elk. So it's shaping up to be a pretty fun fall. All that being said, now the hard work begins. I've got to figure out where the elk are going to be. So that's going to be a lot of e-scouting. Stay tuned for future episodes where we're going to go over the exact process I'm going through to figure out where I'm going to be when my archery elk tag is up. Then I'm going to do the same thing with my November rifle tag in Wisconsin for whitetail deer. And here in California, I'll bring you along as I go through a summer of scouting to figure out where I'm going to find deer in areas where a high density is seven deer per square mile. So stay tuned. All right, to begin, let's dive right into the North American model of wildlife conservation. We all know that we can't just go out and shoot any deer, anytime, anywhere. And this is the main reason why. It's the seven pillars of the North American model of wildlife conservation. We all know that in the early years of our country, there was not many game laws in place. We hunted a lot of species nearly to extinction. We destroyed habitat. Some species like the passenger pigeon were actually taken to the point where they could not return. Others like bison, white-tailed deer, wild turkeys, they got close, but obviously they've come back very well. One of the big turning points was the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918. Then in 1934, the Migratory Bird Hunting and Conservation Stamp was created. And then finally, the Federal Aid in Wildlife Restoration Act of 1937, otherwise known as the Pittman-Robertson Act, which we are going to go into in another episode, so stay tuned, was passed. Those three main acts laid the foundation for what inspired the North American model of wildlife conservation. Okay, so what are the seven pillars? First, wildlife is a public resource. Wildlife is considered a public resource independent of the land or the water where the wildlife may live. So therefore, just because a deer is on your property doesn't mean you have rights to that deer. The wildlife itself is a public resource, despite the fact the land is owned privately. Pillar two, markets are eliminated for game animals. 
This was an important one. Market hunting had pushed many species towards the brink of extinction. So obviously in order to get a handle on that, we had to get rid of the incentive to go out and just indiscriminately kill a whole bunch of turkeys and try to sell them. Okay, pillar number three, allocation of wildlife by law. Since wildlife is a public resource managed by the government, then it has to be taken care of by the government. And therefore, we needed to have wildlife laws. So that's your game wardens. Pillar number four, wildlife can only be killed for a legitimate purpose. Since wildlife is a shared resource, we're not allowed to waste it. And therefore, the only reason to kill it is to eat it. So through hunting. And that's why you have all your wanton waste laws. If you don't take your entire animal off the mountain, they're going to cite you for that. That's a waste. Pillar number five, wildlife species are con considered an international resource. So some species, such as some migratory birds, will cross national boundaries. Treaties such as the Migratory Birds Act uh, give joint responsibility to the state or to the countries where these species go. So it became an international resource. Okay, pillar number six, science is the proper tool for the discharge of wildlife policy. This one's very important. We're not going to base our wildlife principles and how we're going to manage the herds or the flocks based on how we feel, if we're hungry or not. We're going to actually use sound science objective measures, and that's going to determine how many animals we can take off the land. And that's the wildlife biologist's job. Pillar number seven, the democracy in, of hunting. So this means the government allocates access to wildlife without regard for wealth, prestige, or land ownership. So what does that mean in layman's terms? That means everybody has the same access to go hunting as anybody else. It doesn't matter whether or not you've got a lot of money, whether you've got a family title, you have just as much right to hunt animals in this country as anyone else. All right, now that we've discussed the seven pillars of wildlife management in the North American conservation model, let's go ahead and talk about some bag limits and possession limits. This can get kind of complicated for a lot of people. And so we're going to just break this down real quick. So a bag limit is the number of a species that you're allowed to have for a given time period. Now, where it gets complicated is in the writing. You're going to have species where it'll be X number of animals for a season, or you're going to be X number of animals in possession. A prime example of that here is in the state of California. If I go turkey hunting in the spring season, I'm allowed three bearded turkeys per season. Now that's inclusive of shotgun season, archery season, and if you have a kid, that's their junior season as well. So you have three seasons, but you can shoot three birds. If you throw a barbecue or you get together with a whole bunch of friends and you smoke one of those turkeys, just because that turkey gets eaten and goes away, doesn't mean you get to go after another turkey. You only get three per season, period. So that's big difference if you're doing that versus, say, quail. In the state of California, how the rule is written is 10 quail per day, 30 in possession. So why is that different? Well, it's really just the idea that I can shoot 30 quail. If I have 30 quail and I have a big get-together and we 
eat a whole bunch of quail and we eat, say, 10. Well, then the next day, I can still go shoot 10 more quail because I only have 20 in possession. 10 of those got eaten. So then if I got my 10, I'm back to, I've had 40 this season. So that's a big difference right there. And you really have to pay attention to how the rules are written so that you know whether you're going to be having that per season or in possession. All right, let's dive into the last big section I wanted to talk about on this episode. And that's going to be mainly for you big game hunters out there. This is going to be all about draw and seasons and applications and everything that you need to know to figure out how to hunt the West. When I grew up, I grew up in Wisconsin and the biggest issue we had was, are we going to my uncle's cabin? Are we going to my grandpa's house? My grandpa lived in South Central Wisconsin and we had uncle's cabin up in the Northwoods. You just had to pick. The tag didn't matter because in the state of Wisconsin, as like many Midwestern states, you got a deer tag. It was good for the entire state. Now you might have to apply for an antlerless deer tag for a given unit or a given county. But as far as your deer tag was concerned, you go over to Walmart and you give them your 20 bucks and they say, here you go. Here's a deer tag. It's good statewide. Go shoot a buck. That was all there was to it. Then about a decade ago when I made my move out to California and I decided I wanted to go hunting, I realized you don't just go to Walmart and say, I want a deer tag. That's not going to work for you. You had to figure out what unit, what weapon, what season. And there was just a large array of questions. I had no idea where to start. So hopefully this will help you out. So if you need a resource to really help you out, I like using Colorado's big game brochure, big game manual, whatever they want to call it. But if you look at page number two in their big game pamphlet, they have a really quick seven-step process that's going to help you figure out what tag you need to apply for. So question number one, do you have hunter ed? Anytime you want to have a hunting tag, you've got to have hunter ed. So if that's if you can't answer that yes, that's your first step. Go take a hunter ed class. Question number two, you got to figure out what species you want to hunt. So do you want to go after deer, antelope, elk, moose, bighorn sheep? What are you going after? Well, that's something you're going to have to answer yourself. So, but for my sake, I'm going to use elk for any example we're going to do. Next question, they say, where do you want to hunt? Okay, this is going to be determined a lot based on what's available to you. So, you might have private land available. If you've got somebody in your family who has a big chunk of private land, that might tell you where you want to hunt because you're staying in their cabin. You're going to be in that unit. If that's not the case and you're pretty much free range, well, now you get into, okay, well, there's a lot of options out there. Figuring out where I want to hunt, that's, that's a big question. Colorado's a big state. Generally speaking, if you're going to be hunting private land or public land, excuse me, you're going to be hunting in the western part of the state. 
And let's just say you have no preference points saved up, so you don't expect to be able to draw a tag right away. So you're going to go with an over-the-counter option. Well, that still leaves you a large chunk of Western Colorado that you're able to hunt. For 2021, the archery season, the either sex tag, you're looking at over 50 units in Western Colorado that are over the counter. Anybody can show up, anybody can hunt. So there's your opportunity. And if you want to be a rifle hunter for elk, in Western Colorado, there are more units that are over the counter for the second and third rifle seasons than there are that are draw. So you have plenty of opportunities in Colorado to just go out and hunt. So basically saying that, where you want to hunt is pretty much up to you. You can hunt in the northwest portion of Colorado, the southwest portion of Colorado, right on the front range. There's an over-the-counter hunt that you can find, and that can range anywhere from 14,000 feet up to, you know, just 7,000 feet in the, in the foothills of the front range. So you have to figure out where you want to hunt, and that's going to be up to you. The next question is, when do you want to hunt? This ties back to, do you want to archery hunt? Do you want to rifle hunt? They're going to happen at different times. Question five is, what weapon do you want to hunt with? But I really think those two are interchangeable because, well, if you want to hunt during the rut, it's pretty much going to tell you that you're either going to be hunting with a muzzleloader, which is going to be a draw tag, or if you don't have the points and you're going to be doing that as an over-the-counter hunt, you're going to be hunting with a bow. That's the only way you can hunt during the rut for elk is during archery season. Muzzleloader season overlaps it, but you need to have points to draw those tags. Now, if you say, I don't really want to get into this whole archery thing, I'd rather just stick with a rifle. It's a lot more straightforward. I know how to shoot my rifle. I'm not going to play the archery game. Well, okay, that's fine. But it does mean you're going to be hunting basically October, November, depending on whether you want to do first rifle, second rifle, third rifle, the list goes on. Now, this is more going to be the when do I want to hunt, because there's a big difference between getting a first rifle hunt in the middle of October, beginning middle of October, and a third rifle hunt, which is happening in November. Depending on where you hunt, you're going to really want to figure out when you want to be there. So let's say you're hunting somewhere high up and these are going to be migratory animals. They're going to move down and the private land on the, on the valley floor is where they're going to be moving towards toward the winter. Well, if you pull a fourth rifle tag there and all the public land is up high in the mountains and the snow hits early and they start migrating early, guess what? That's going to be a hard hunt. On the other hand, if you get a first rifle hunt and all the animals are still up in the national forest, in the, in the high country that's public land, that's a much more doable hunt. So you really have to look into what time of year you're going to be hunting, especially if you're going to be doing it with a rifle. Because a lot of times, as you move into lower elevations, you move into private land. That's just how it works in the West for the most part. The higher elevations, the more uh, jagged country, the more rugged areas, those are public land. Well, that's where the animals are going to be during the summertime. But they are going to migrate to the lower elevations where they can find more food 
once the snow sets in. Once you've figured out where you want to hunt, when you want to hunt, what weapon you want to hunt with, now you got to figure out what kind of tags you can get. For me this year, the unit I want to go to is an over-the-counter unit, which means I'm going to get an over-the-counter archery elk tag, and I'm going to be going in September. That pretty much sums it up. But how did I pick that unit and everything like that? We'll go into that in a later episode where I'm going to have a discussion with my dad, who's going to be going on this hunt with me. And we're going to talk about exactly how we chose which unit we wanted to go to, what the factors that led to that decision were. And we're going to also work on some of the tools we use to do the research for us. One of the big ones is the Go Hunt Insider. I love it. I'm not sponsored by them. So this is just my personal opinion. If you want something that's going to help you with your Western hunting, it's well worth the cost. I think it's like a hundred bucks a year, but it breaks down the states. It gives you your trophy potential in the area. If you're interested in that harvest success, bull to cow ratios or buck to doe ratios, whichever species you're going after. And then additionally, it tells you how much of the area there is public land. So me knowing that I'm going to be hunting public land over the counter, I wanted to keep the public land at least 40%. I know I'm going in September. I know I'm going into high country. And even those units where it's 40%, that one I had to pair with Onyx, which I also use, also well worth it, to put the public land boundaries over there. Make sure that high country, that 40% that is public land, one, isn't landlocked. Sometimes you run into problems with BLM land, where it's private land all the way around it. So you really can't get in. And two, you want to make sure that that public land is where you expect the animals to be that time of year. So if you're looking for some resources to help you really narrow down where, when, what you want to hunt, go find the Go Hunt Insider. That's going to help you. It can break down all the species for you, figure out where you can go, when you can go there, and what your odds are. After you draw that tag, after you figure out you're going to do an over-the-counter tag, well, we've just started. Like I said, we're going to go through this whole e-scouting thing. I'm going to be going to Colorado without ever being able to actually get to Colorado ahead of time to scout. So all my scouting is going to be done on the phone, on the internet, and sitting at my house here. So all that said, stick around for the journey, and hopefully... This will help me find elk when I get to Colorado, and hopefully this will help you find elk when you go wherever you're going to figure out how you're going to use these maps to find the elk. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond Hunter Ed Podcast. And as always, if you have questions, please email us at questions at beyondhuntered.com or you can find us on the web at www.beyondhuntered.com